Welcome to another edition of the Brawl of the Lions UK podcast, episode number 93, The Curious Case of Baker. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside my co-host Ryan McCluskey, soon to be joined as well by Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, uh, preparing myself for another tumultuous Royal Rumble of emotions. <laughs> we never do it easy, do we? It's gonna be, it's gonna be a roller coaster, one way or the other. Uh, just want to kick this one off by saying what up, Doe, to all you guys out there watching live or on the audio pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you being with us. Uh, don't forget our Discord channel. Newly done, quite a few really good people in there. It gets very vibrant during game days, so you especially want to be there around Sundays. But all the way through the week, lots of discussions happening there. DMs open on Twitter. Hit us up if you want a link through there. College Football Podcast uh, recorded was it only yesterday. It was yesterday, Ryan. How, how did it go? What did he talk about? Uh, Wednesday. It was mm. two days ago, yeah. yeah. We were talking about uh, week 10, 11 of football player the senior ball, how the playoff teams are now lining up and we're going to start to look towards FCS because their expanded playoffs start before the FBS playoffs even get decided. So now we're looking at more draft prospects because some teams have nearly finished the year. Within two weeks, that is the end of pretty much all regular season college. So we're going to be wrapping things up towards the end of the season. Look at the Heisman race before we prepare for planning forward for looking at future prospects sounds fantastic um don't forget to like the video sub to the channel all that good stuff really appreciate your time and don't forget as well we have joined lions nation unite so the app formed by herman moore and the gang lots of the favorite youtubers and, and hobby content creators on there so don't forget to download the app you'll see us there we do a little bit of extra content here and there on that too great way of uh getting a concentrated amount of, of Lions content. And we have got a giveaway coming. So it's going to launch, I think, tomorrow in conjunction with Claire de Bear. Claire, a Bears fan, probably one of the most famous UK fans across all of the NFL. And we've uh, joined up with her to do a giveaway. Look out for the tweet tomorrow, and we'll be promoting that all the way through the week up till Thanksgiving, when, of course, we are playing the Bears. And you'll want to look out for her possibly joining us maybe next week for a pod would be interesting I, I of course won't be there because i'll be in detroit i'm not going to shut up about it it's going to be amazing um all right and how you doing man yeah i'm doing good thanks how are you all all good all good glad to get to the end of another week to be honest it's uh work is a grind this is a relief even though we're 08 and one this is my happy space yeah, tell me about it. I've just spent my evening at a wine tasting, just getting the work out my system and having a little bit of ice cream, you know, and just enjoying the start of my weekend and just preparing myself for the Lions game to come. It's a hard life. <laughs> I've been at work all day, so I've had like an hour relaxing after a 10-hour day at work, so I feel like I've earned that. And now we've, we've got to go through the Lions game this weekend, so, you know, earn a little bit of downtime, drinking some nice wine. 
<laughs> now we're on to the hard stuff. The stuff that they make you want to drink. Oh, this the stuff you brew in your bathtub. That's the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've got some news to break down, boys. Some some roster moves before we look into the Browns preview. And a lot of the changes happened at Kicker this week. So obviously Santoso after his botched uh, potential field goal winner. Last weekend, he's been kicked to the curb. Unfortunate, I really liked him as a person, but you can't go and do that and expect to come back, especially after the point after try missed two. We signed Kylie Patterson from the Patriots practice squad. Um, he is, for all intents and purposes, a bit of a rookie, really. He hasn't got a huge amount of NFL experience. He has, so if I remember rightly from a different podcast, they said that he went 96% on field goals in the year before he came out, and then he came out during the COVID year where he had a really down year. So he's been up and down. He's had some really good consistent moments in college, but not maybe shown at quite this level yet. But as a backup, we've also signed Giants former Pro Bowl, former Giants Pro Bowler, Aldrich Rosas to the practice squad. So you know, if, if Patterson doesn't do it, we can always elevate Rosas. What do you think on those two changes, boys? I mean, Santoso was a given, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. he has to go. <clears throat> he cost us that game. And, it, it, you know, I wouldn't have minded if it was a good kick, but it just from the second it left his foot, it didn't look like it was going anywhere near. And it, it's such a shame because I was thinking, if he sunk that and we won that game, I would have grown that moustache in his honour. But he's lost out on that now. <laughs> I don't know much about the two kickers, but we needed new kickers. Let's see which one of them doesn't disappoint us. There's yeah. a chance there for spotting Rock. I'm surprised Rosas is the one on the practice squad because he's actually been decent at the NFL level before. So I'm surprised he's the one who's getting the backup choice to this. But, you know, he's a good backup to come in if Patterson doesn't do well. So, you know, it's... We need the competition there. We've got the competition. As I said right at the very beginning, I'm glad we're having this discussion now. I'm glad we're getting the kicking situation sorted now rather than in two years when it really matters to us. Yeah, so I think the reason why it's been done this way is because because Patterson was on the Pats practice squad. You can't sign him off the practice squad to another practice squad. You can only do it to an active roster, and they don't want two kicks in the active <laughs> roster. But with the way the elevations work, it doesn't really matter if you did both and just take the best one. You just elevate the other. You know, like it, it doesn't really make any difference. The only thing is, apparently, when you sign someone off a practice squad, you have to pay them three games. So Patterson will get three games pay come what may, even if he's cut next week. That's the only he's downside. Laughing. He's laughing then, isn't he? Got a nice rookie check in the bank. I mean, if you get paid, what's the minimum salary for someone who's a, a an effective rookie i imagine it's probably about 700 grand maybe three quarters of a million so he's getting a quarter of that he's getting 175 grand maybe guaranteed it's not bad gotta take that and then if he kicks well we'll be a hero here so exactly you know all the rest of the team are out to prove themselves this year so if we can bring a kicker in who wants to prove himself and you know prove to the world he can do it then Fair play to him. That's what this year is about. Giving guys a chance, seeing how many stick, and then going after the real talent in the draft and in free agency. I mean, the thing... Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, for those of you on the audio pod, Brian just dropped his phone that he's recording on, which was hilarious. Anyway, um, Patterson, with how good he was at college for that one year, if he can recapture that sort of form, 
I, maybe I'm just dreaming here, but I'm dreaming of a Fox Patterson combination of punters and kickers making Pro Bowls every year. So it's, maybe it's a vain hope, but it could happen. <laughs> you never know. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know with kickers when they come up from college, you know, how they're going to transition. But it seems to be that a few of them have made it in recent years. You know, the young guy at the Bengals, he's doing well. Um, I mean, what's his face at the Colts? He's just come up. He's doing all right. So. Blankenship and McPherson. Yeah, they've, they've both come up and done pretty well. So it's better than having all these vets in just coming around looking for a job somewhere. I, yeah. you know, because I think me and me and Ryan both said we'd be interested in drafting a kicker. I think we both drafted a kicker in our mock drafts on the college show, round seven, but still we drafted one. That's so I think that is the route to go, really. Mm. Yeah, fair. Right. I'm sorry. I'd prefer it if we didn't have to draft a kicker. <laughs> oh well, I would, but you know, a seventh is a seventh. It is what it is, really, isn't it? So yeah, they're yeah. always they're, worth. They're they're always worth one point on the draft point scale, aren't they? Those seventh rounders, they, they aren't worth shit. So. Well, to be honest, if you land on a kicker there, then it's vital for you going forward. It's, a, it's an incredibly vital piece of your team, which you can do in the seventh. It's where you get the most value, for, you know, for most bang for book. So oh, yeah, because at the end of the day, if we had a competent kicker last week, we get a win. And, you know, when you talk about mm. wins above replacement and kickers, they're probably quite high, so... But in two years, two, three years, when we're competing, doing well, hopefully, you know, we're going to need a good kicker. So if all it takes is a seventh to rectify that, then, of course, you, you pay it quite happily. We've got, yeah. we've got enough high draft picks this year to go after elite talent elsewhere. Very true. Very true. Right. More roster news. Lions wave Geronimo Allison from the active roster. He was then re-signed to the practice squad after he cleared waivers. To make room for him, the wide receiver Travis Johnson, who I think most people didn't really realise was on the practice squad, was released. The cornerback Corey Ballantyne has returned from injured reserve. He's been activated. He's on the main roster. Was actually brought in from, I think, a practice squad to take the place of Godwin Igwebuke as the main kick and punt returner. And then, of course, Godwin has actually availed himself quite well, especially last week in kick return duties. So I wonder... How much Ballantyne is going to see? I was actually surprised he was activated. He's just been released. We've just, we've just got a notification now in the Discord. <laughs> I oh. did say today it was a pointless signing because he's a crap cornerback and we don't need a returner, so he's now gone. And Boyle has been activated. Oh, there <laughs> it is. TB12 in the house. There's uh, our quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> If, if he's nearly back now, anyhow, so there's no need for Ballantine if, if he's back. Because yep. he's going to go straight into a starting slot. So, you know, it pushes him even further down the depth chart. Hopefully, it means that if he's not too far away, if they're comfortable getting rid of him. Very true. And just the corresponding move to Ballantine coming back before, of course, being released was the cornerback, Parnell Motley, who I didn't actually realise, even though I do this, I didn't realise he was on the practice squad, or he's not anymore. And the tackle, Dan Skipper, is back. He is on the practice squad once again. I can see that Ant and Brian are absolutely delighted with him coming back. Probably one of the nicest guys around the team in terms of just... I've heard multiple stories about um, people coming to training camp and him taking extra time compared to the rest of the guys on the roster. I'm not saying that they're assholes or anything, but Dan has taken extra time to go and kind of be there for the fans. And I mean... That's great. 
questionable as to whether he performs on the field, boys. But I don't know. Maybe he's going to provide more than um, tackle number four, who, for some reason, his name, Will Holden. I can't imagine he's worse than Will Holden, surely. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's not a tackle for himself. He, he is the guy you want to bring in for a bit of rotation when you're blowing teams out and you don't need your main tackles in anymore. It's just, it's killing us, you know, but thankfully Decker's all right. So hopefully we don't see him again and hopefully we don't see, you know, I, I don't mind seeing him if we're playing the extra tackle set, if we're bringing extra tight like we did last week against Pittsburgh. If we're using him for that intensive purposes, that's fine. But outside of that, you don't want to be seeing them in there. It's um, it's just a massive drop off in talent, and you know teams target that right hand side when Decker is not there. So you don't want to see him back there. As for the other guys, I swear they're putting names on this practice squad because there's two I've seen now, and I watch the moves very closely. And there's two of them I've never heard of. I swear they're just sneaking guys on there and not telling us or making names up. They've got to be. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've. Like we were saying before, Ryan, Valentine coming back, he was just an absolute head scratcher. I mean, I guess he has to be brought back to be released. I don't, I guess if he's released with an injury designation, he has to be injured. I don't, I'm not, I think maybe you get a portion of your contract guaranteed if you're released with an injury designation. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how it works, but okay. I'm, I'm going to assume they know what they're doing with that. Let's move on to the game. So, Browns Lions this Sunday. Uh, Betfair has the betting 21 to 5 for the Lions. The Browns are 6 to 1 on. The spreads when I last looked, it might have shifted, but yesterday was 11 and a half points in favour of the Browns. The over-under at 43.5, so I think it's going to be quite a conservative, small scoring, short, small scoring, low scoring game. Can't get my adjectives right. Um, looking at the injury report, they've all come out now. We know who's out and who's maybe out or not out. Uh, AJ Green, Troy Hill, and Anthony Schwartz for the Browns are out. So that's the court, two cornerbacks and their speedy sub 4 3 wide receiver who's a rookie. In terms of the other guys, questionable is um, Tack McKinley, the defensive end, and Donovan Peoples Jones is questionable. He was expected potentially, I was listening to the um, breakdown podcast yesterday, and he, they thought he'd be out. So the fact that he's questionable is a boon. For the Browns because they are banged up at that wide receiver position. You've got Jarvis Landry who actually has come through limited again today and he doesn't have a game status designation so that's good news for the Browns who have entirely lacked any production in the receiving game. We'll get into that later but Jadavian Clowney and Garrett are both on the injury reports but they don't have a designation come Sunday alongside Blake Hans the guard, Malik Jackson the defensive tackle, Baker Mayfield the quarterback J.C. Tretter, the centre, Greedy Williams, the cornerback, Ronnie Harrison Jr., the safety, and Austin Hooper, the tight end. So they all had some sort of limitation this week, but all of them are set to play. Let's just focus on Cleveland for a little bit. Schwartz being out is actually going to hurt them a little bit. A.J. Green is being out is going to hurt them a little bit. They've been poor in coverage, and A.J. Green was providing them some production. And with the wide receiver core not doing anything, with Odell Beckham not there, DPJ and Anthony Schwartz needed to be big parts of what they're doing, and one's out, and one might not suit up. So, you know, they're banged up. I mean, it's a really long list of injuries, even if some don't have designations. 
Schwartz was massively overdrafted and speed is his only quality at the minute. I, I, I We called him one of the reaches of the draft in there, so I don't think that's going to hurt him as much as Landry been out. I think if Landry's out, that's huge, but DPJ's had a really good season there, so it, it kind of levels the playing field up a little bit because obviously our receiver room's banged up and not the best. A lot of their guys are out. I think one thing I can guarantee about this game is it is going to be the first game of all the six o'clock fixtures to finish because I reckon both teams are going to run the hell out of it and the clock's just going to keep on going ever so quick. But, you know, Schwartz, is, I'm not as big on him. I don't think it's as big a loss for them. But, you know, I'm glad that the playing field has been levelled out as far as receivers go. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Baker isn't healthy. He, he said the other day that this is the worst he's ever felt. He's battling three injuries. And... He's playing at like 60, 70%. So I don't think they're going to expect to put the game on his shoulders. They're not going to want him throwing too much. So Schwartz, I don't think, is too big a miss. I think they'll rely heavily on Njoku and Hooper, who probably will try to get that offence going to tight end sets. So the wide receivers for me aren't an issue. The players I'm bothered about are Clowney and Garrett, who are probably going to be good to go. And I saw today that, They've got a full strength of running back. Like I said, they acted them both off the COVID list. So Chubb and Dimitri Felton both starting. That's exactly what I did not want to see because as Ant says, this could be a proper tussle in the trenches, ground battle, especially with Dimitri Felton catching passes out the backfield. And then we've got to match them with Williams running the ball, Swift catching passes. So it could be a very even game Is in those senses. Their corners terrible. Greedy Williams has been absolute garbage since drafted. So the, the corners are somewhat weakened and Josh Reynolds should start his first game. So maybe we'll he might find a bit of freedom. So I don't feel too bad looking at the actual injury sheets. They don't nothing strikes or jumps off me of paper as when you get absolutely creamed. I think it, it's a little bit better on paper than it should be. And the thing is that they're 12-point favourites for this. You know, they're not in the greatest run of form themselves. There's a lot of pressure on them to repeat what happened last year, but there's injuries there. They're expected to win. It could weigh very heavily on them, you know, you know, because they are defunct in a lot of areas. There are areas we can hit and hurt them. And they say, I don't think this is going to be a game where it's going to go on forever. I think if you can make the most of your drives, take the time down off the clock, play it tactically, there's certainly a method in there to win. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at the Lions injury report. Three guys are out. Trey Flowers, the outside linebacker. Jermar Jefferson, the running back. And Matt Nelson, the tackle. Jared Goff is officially doubtful for the game. But, I mean, we all know that doubtful basically means 95% chance of not playing. Then four players are questionable. Trinity Benson, the wide receiver, won't threaten a catch whether he's on or off the field. Taylor Decker, the tackle, is questionable. Tracy Walker, the safety, with a concussion. And Jamal Williams, the running back, officially questionable, but he's been limited throughout every day of practice, which of course is much better than he's been doing the last three weeks. So hope there. Three guys, uh, sorry, four guys with no injury designation having been limited at some point during the week. Austin Bryant, the outside linebacker, Mark Gilbert, and Jerry Jacobs, the cornerbacks, and DeAndre Swift, the running back. Actually, I think for the first time since week one, is full practice for a day because we've seen him limited throughout the season with his off-season problems. So 
that is a positive step that Swift actually was able to participate in full, especially after 33 carries last week. This is this is the Lions getting healthy, boys. The Lions throw questionable about pretty much every week. Like as you say, Swift's been questionable all the time. If I see questionable the Lions, I expect them all to play. I don't think it ever worries me that much. Jared Goff, absolutely not a miss whatsoever. Decker is hurt. That elbow, I'd expect him to wear some padding or a brace, and it's going to be sore, I imagine, playing through the game. So they're going to be very careful with him because the next time it does flare up, he will probably be on season-ending IR. So I won't be surprised if there are some drives where he does take out, maybe put Skipper on Nelson in. God help me. But I think they'll manage him this weekend. I don't think he's going to play 100%. But it's nice to see Austin Bryant there. Like I say, he's good to go. So we're going to need someone to go after there, like I say, their backup right tackle. So we need someone that's going to be able to bring a bit of pressure. Gilbert, probably going to see more playing time after a good week last week. And Swift, after such a big workload, it's great to see now that they're managing his practice as well. If you're going to give him such a big workload, you kind of need to give him days off during the week just to manage his his little body. He needs he can't he can't go full tilt every day and then play a game. So, but they know what they're doing with him. So, yep, not much to worry about. As you say, Trinity Benson healthy or what? The guy couldn't catch a cold in the Antarctic, so wasn't there. <laughs> right, let's have a look at the Browns in a bit more detail. They're five and five. Pro Football Reference has them at expected of 4.7 to 5.3, so they've been slightly fortunate to end up at five and five. Football Outsiders, however, has them as an expected six and four, so there's some variation between the various metrics as to how lucky or unlucky they've been. They are, however, fourth in the AFC North at the moment, you know, and this is a, a team in preseason wants to have potentially the best roster in the NFL. So big underperformance so far. I think they've been the ones who especially suffer at the hands of the Bengals doing so well in that division. Looking at their games so far, they've lost to Kansas City, LA Chargers, Arizona, and Pittsburgh. They've beaten Houston, Chicago, Minnesota, Denver, and Cincinnati. And sorry, they lost last week against New England. So in terms of the teams they've beaten, there are no world beaters there. In terms of the teams they've lost to, they're all teams you would expect them to lose to, really, bar New England last week, which was an absolute blowout, 45-7. to But they're a proper Jekyll and Hyde side. So the week before, they beat Cincinnati scoring 41 points. They've also scored 29 against Kansas, 31 against Houston, 42 against the Chargers. This is a team that, you know, can put up points. And yet against Pittsburgh, they scored 10. Against New England, they scored 7. You know, this team doesn't do mediocre. They, clearly, their history so far this season is they are 100% on or they're 100% off. Yeah. Oh, go on, the Browns so far have picked on bad teams. They've bullied some of the crap teams, like say, as of New England and maybe Cincinnati, but they've beaten poor sides. As you say, they're either hot or they're cold. It just you can be lucky in which week they actually turn up. A lot of that is down to Baker. That like I said, the guy shouldn't have been playing through all these injuries. He's tried harder than he has to. I think some, at some point someone should have stood up and said, 
you're not healthy, actually. Sit your ass down. Because Case Keenum's a very good backup. I would feel worse about Sunday if Case Keenum were playing because I think he would probably somehow torture us because that's just what we do to ourselves. But a banged-up Baker, he can either throw five interceptions or he'll throw four, four touchdowns. He can try way too hard at times. He puts that on his back and they just and the defence as well. As you say, the secondary, it's just not there for me. I don't trust these cornerbacks. They're very up and down. They can be very erratic. But the front, they generate pressure. When they're firing, the secondary can take a step off because they know they've got a bit of time and there's pressure to the quarterback. But this team is so erratic. You never know which Cleveland are going to turn up. And when they're managing injuries, there no longer can be excuses because injuries can only be used as excuses for so long. But I really don't know what team we're going to see on Sunday. This could very well be the first win of the season or it could get absolutely blown out and neither would surprise me. Thing is, fate's played into our hands this week because it's absolutely ravaged their wide receiver core. Yes, I know Landry might be in and people's jobs possibly, but they're not going to be healthy. And what do they do well? They run the ball well. So I've, I've banged the drum about this so often, but this week... Aaron Glenn, for all the good he's done on that defence, he needs to leave his secondary to it. You know, their receiver core is banged up. Our young secondary can handle receivers when they're left with it. This is the week where we use that disadvantage of theirs and we stack the box against Chubb. We stop them running the ball. We bring the extra medal. We stop them running it on us. And we trust them to deal with the receivers. Because I say the depth isn't there. They're banged up. And our young guys can do it. So for me, this is a perfect opportunity for us to play them now. And I'm not underestimating them for one second, but I always look every week at the route to victory for us. And there is one there. You know, let's bring the pressure, let's stack the box and let's really just stuff them, make them try and throw it, make a banged up Baker try and make the throws, you know, dare them on. But, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to come away with a win here against a decent side just because of the injuries that have been thrown up on their part. Yeah, let's have a look in a bit more depth at this team then. Overall, their DVOA is 2%. That's about middle of the pack, but some 17th overall. Their PFF grade overall as a team is 86, which is fifth in the NFL, despite a 500 overall record. On offense, their DVOA is 5.8% per um, Football Outsiders, that's 13. It's called 231 points at an average of 23.1 per game. That's 18. In terms of passing, 191 on 294. That's 30th in attempts in the NFL. 2,097 yards, 10 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. That interception amount is second in the NFL, so they don't give the ball away in the air much. They don't pass it particularly much either. Rushing attempts, they're 8th with 293 Second in yards with 1,541. 16 touchdowns is first. And 5.3 yards per carry is first. This is the best rushing attack in the league. They don't run at most, but they're damned efficient when they do. On third down, 44 of 118 is 37% and 22nd. And on fourth down, 9 of 22 is 41% and 25th. In the red zone, they're about the same as well. 18 of 33 is 55% and 23rd. So... If you put them in bad situations, third, fourth down and in the red zone, they are not up there with some of the best converters in the league. And that obviously points to the fact that they do their hard yards 
on the ground and when you can actually stack the box against them with a shrunken field or you've got a line to protect they actually don't produce as well as they should if we have a look at some of the bigger names in their team baker mayfield obviously leads that he's had 26 sacks against him that is at 9.6 percent of dropbacks which is an insane rate i think it's the second most sacked quarterback in the nfl passer racing of 95 Quarterback rating of 43 and a PFF grade of 71. That's the lowest PFF grade of his career. And in against New England last week, that was his second worst PFF grade since he joined the NFL. Nick Chubb, the running back, 120 carries, 721 yards, six touchdowns at an average of six per carry. Also caught eight of eight passes for 69 yards, a PFF grade of 75. They're missing Kareem Hunt, who actually has... Slightly better PFF grade, slightly less efficient, but he's on IR and he's not going to play. The leading receiver is David Njoku, the tight end. He's caught an amount of... I have not put the right amount here for his catches. I don't care. 352 yards is the leading receiving yards on the team, which I think is Lions-level receiving yards, which is not good. Two touchdowns for him, PFF grade of 72. The leading wide receiver is Donovan Peoples-Jones, who, of course, is questionable for this game. 16 of 23 for 330 yards and three touchdowns and a PFF grade of 69. The leading wide receiver in terms of name recognition is Jarvis Landry, who in recent years has been excellent at, you know, catching the ball, making efficient yards. He's only done 23 of 34 for 219 and a PFF grade of 61.5. When they came into the, uh, this season, this was described as the best offensive line in football. Their right tackle, uh, Jack Conklin, is on IR. He's not playing. Their two guards post the league, league leading, maybe not league leading, but very high season grades of 89.7 and 87.5. That's Betonio and Teller. So, you know, one of the most highly sacked quarterbacks, despite the lack of passing attempts, but a really good offensive line when it comes to the running game. Running backs who take advantage of that and are also great in their own right. Like Ant was saying earlier, there seems to be only one route to victory here, boys. Yep. As Ant said, you stack the box. As you said, they're, they're the best rushers in the league and they're good at what we're bad at. We're one of the worst third down teams I've ever seen and they, they, they run the ball heavily on third down. They're good at converting. They've got a decent percentage. Stack the box, stack the box, stack the box. That's what we've got to do. Like Bring Tracy up all day because he's got to get those free solo open field tackles. He's going to do really well against likes of Chubb and Felton because he comes down hard. And this has got to be the week where the league's worst pass rushing team gets to Baker. And when they get to Baker, you put him in the body bag. I don't, there's no other way around it. If you get hands on him, you break him. Like he's shown he's already hurt. We do not generate enough pressure. Like I said, 27 quarterback hits last in the league, 14 sacks last in the league. We've only got the 30th, I'm thinking, like pass rush rates. This week has got to be the week where we dial something up. We can't let those guards bully us. We've got to take advantage of tackles inside. Those are the keys to winning. You stop the run. And then when Baker does drop back, because you've just said there, if they eat all those sacks behind a good line, that means Baker Mayfield is entirely the whole problem. 
he keeps the ball too long. And if he's going to keep the ball too long, then I want someone to get in there and slam him. Get hold of him and you bring him down and do not let him escape because he's fragile right now. Those are the keys to winning. No, we've said it there. It's the three words, stack the box. That, that is the key of the day. There is no excuse for the Lions to go conservative on defence this week. Not one. You know, that receiver core doesn't scare me to the point where I'm not leaving my guys one-on-one with them. Yes, I may give up some big plays, but I don't care. I want to stuff that run game because when you put it on Mayfield's arm and the lack of receivers there, we've got an exponentially bigger chance of winning this game. So no conservatism whatsoever. You know, we've got to get after them. I want to see both nose tackles in there causing havoc in the middle. If we're going to play a fourth, a four-three, you know, we we don't play a three very often. We're not playing our nose tackles. We're going to play four in there. I want to see Pedersini and McNeil in there, just collapsing the pocket, getting people in at him. You know, blitzing linebackers coming through, blitzing the safeties. That I want to see that this week more than anything. And if I don't, then that's going to be the first question I have against Aaron Glenn. I love what he's done with this defense and the development of the players, but he has got to start trusting them more one-on-one if we want to win games. It's that simple, really. Completely agree. I mean, just to highlight this even further about where we have to win the game. So they're a terrific running team. We've already highlighted that. Their guards, Joel Betonio and Wyatt Teller, I've already said, are their guards posting PFF grades of 89 and 87. That's elite. Their centre, JC Tretter, 72.7. So not quite as good, but still a very solid grade. So that interior of the offensive line, excellent. Jack Conklin on IR, the right tackle. PFF grade of 78.6. That side of the line was locked down when he was in there. But with him gone, if you have a look at who's replacing him and the remaining tackles, you've got Jedrick Wills, who's obviously starting on the left-hand side. His PFF grade this season is 58. The uh, the tackles that have relieved Conklin, Blake Hance, Chris Hubbard, James Hudson, have PFF grades between them of 59, 51, and, and 47. So, very strong interior, very weak exterior. If we're going to do something in this game, we cannot, cannot and must not let those tackles have a good game. So you're looking very much at our outside linebackers. You're looking at Charles Harris to have one of the games of his career for us to have a chance here. The man who got four games, as as Ryan said to me just before we came on, Four sacks in four games, the first, second, or the joint leading in team history. And to my knowledge, hasn't done really anything since. Now, he's not been a liability either, but this is a game where he needs to step up. On the other side, you've got Austin Bryant or you've got um, Julian Aquara. They're going to be the only guys. And one of them, if not a few of them, have to step up in this game because that's where they're weak on the offensive. You've got to get the tackles on an island. I know it is right what you say. You've got to target the edge, but you've got to target that interior as well. You've got to get some big men in there who are going to take up the double coverages so those guards can't free themselves up to help the tackles. You know, So you've got to think about this diligently. Like I said, if you put two big guys in there who are going to command double attention, then that just means there's less protection on the edges for the guy to go. So they need to think very cleverly about this. But that, that's what I'd be doing. Two big guys in the middle, eating up those guards in that centre, even if they're not winning. But then you get the one-on-ones against the guys you want to isolate and attack. And that's how you get to Baker Mayfield. That's how you get to their running backs. 
and dialing up a good old blitz every now and again. We haven't seen very many corner blitzes, we haven't seen very many safety blitzes, but when they've come, they've been very successful so far this season, and I wish we would do something a bit more exotic a bit more often, but it points to what Ant said before about trusting the secondary to get the job done, because if we do not do what we've just suggested, you can be sure that the Browns will run it down our throats, they'll get 300 yards on the ground, and we'll lose the game painfully and slowly, but 100% of the time we will lose that game, even if we stick in it for large periods. If we sack the box, yes, we may lose. Yes, it's risky, but it introduces the chance of winning. And th that, that has to be the key. Improve your chance of winning, even at the risk of losing back. If, if I see us lining up with four men to start and Williams and Brockers are the inside guys, I'm going to give up then and there because that, that is going to lose us the game. Those two just simply don't command the type of coverage they need to. Brockers works better off the edge, for starters. He doesn't work better in the middle. Williams doesn't work well in the middle. So I don't want to see either of them in there, quite frankly. Like I say, I want to see my big nose tackles in there instead. You know, they need to look at this thing. They need to just keep that interior clogged and the edge vulnerable. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the defence of the Cleveland Browns. And this is a defence that has got big names on it. However, they are 6.4% on DVO, defensive DVOA. That's 26th in the NFL. In terms of points allowed, <coughs> points allowed, 241 is 24.1 points per game, is 20th in the NFL. Against the pass, they've allowed 213 receptions on 332 attempts, 21 touchdowns. That's 29th in the NFL and five interceptions. And the rushing defense is a lot better. So 250 carries against, 947 yards is fifth in the NFL and 10 touchdowns against. Uh, on third down, they allow 56 of 126. That's 44% and that's 28th. So this is a defense that struggles on third down. On fourth, they tighten up. Eight of 15 is 53% and 17th. And in the red zone, 25 of 36 is 69% and 27th. So in those big third down plays, in those big red zone areas, they are not the strongest team you've ever seen. But let's have a look at the big names on that defense. John Johnson was the high-priced safety from the Rams that we, if you believe what was said, took a good look at. He's got two interceptions, three passes defended, a false fumble, and 34 tackles, 21 of which solo. He, however, hasn't had the best of years when it comes to PFF grade, 59.6. I remember um, Risden on the Detroit Lions podcast basically said, it's just proof that you can take one guy who looks great in one system and put him in another. And I, I think the words he used were, he's Cleveland's Will Harris, but they're paying him 15... <laughs> They're paying him $15 million a year to do it. So be careful what you wish for in free agency. That will be especially relevant to us come April. Oh, hang on. He's got picks. When was the last time Will Harris picked anything apart from himself off the floor after he'd been shrugged aside by a running back or a receiver? Or made a game-saving fumble? Well, I think he's picked in his nose. <laughs> the other players on this team who've at least got the, the team leading stats are cornerback Greedy Williams, an interception, six passes defended, a forced fumble, and 28 tackles. 
22 of which solo. 71 PFF grade for Greedy Williams. So despite what Ryan said earlier about Greedy not having the best of years so far, he's actually showing out a little bit this season. Denzel Ward is probably the biggest name in that secondary. The cornerback has an interception for a 99-yard pick six. Six passes defended, half a sack, 28 tackles, 21 of which solo, and two quarterback hits. His PFF grade... Ah, oh, where the bloody hell is it? Second in the team, 78. Their two edge players, though, are the ones that really grab the, the headlines. Miles Garrett, two passes defended to start with. 13 sacks, I think that's second in the NFLs. 34 tackles, 21 of which solo. 13 tackles for a loss, 24 quarterback hits, and a team-leading 92 PFF grade. Jadavian Clowney is opposite him, so they got former number one overall picks on both sides. Three and a half sacks for Clowney, 21 tackles, 14 of which solo, eight tackles for loss, and 12 quarterback hits. He's fourth on the defense with a grade of 73.4. But if you have a look at some of the other players on this defense, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the second round rookie from this year's draft, he's uh, 253 snaps, grade of 74. They've got Tommy Togiai, who I knew that we were quite high on coming into this season. Uh, I already mentioned before um, AJ Green, who's out, but he's had a good season. Greg Newsom was their first round pick for cornerback, very speedy. He's had an okay year with a 65 grade. Um, Troy Hill, Malik Jackson. There's some, you know, big recognizable names in there, boys, but when it comes down to it, they can't stop people on third down, they can't stop people in the red zone, and they can't stop people in the air. All they seem to be good at is stopping the run. But what do the Lions like to do? Run the yeah. ball. We're going to see a Cincinnati situation if we don't change up the way we play. And, you know, the, the one thing we have to do more than anything is we've got to throw the damn ball. We've got to throw it downfield. We have to stop them stacking the box against us because that's what Cincinnati did. We didn't really throw it. They stacked up against the run and we got absolutely nothing against them. The game got away from us and our entire game plan went to trash. And that's the big fear this weekend. If we don't start throwing it, if we try and do what we did against Pittsburgh, it's not going to work. The Steelers, for some reason, didn't pick up on our game plan for three quarters. In the fourth, when they finally learned to stop, you know, stop the run, that we weren't going to pass it, that they stacked up, they stopped us dead in our tracks. But I don't think the Browns are going to take that long to switch against us if something's not working. So we have to keep that secondary back and we have to keep the space clear for the running backs to be able to run. If we just try and do what we did last week, we're going to get annihilated. So we have to throw it. And hopefully with Boyle in there, I know a lot of people don't like him, but Boyle can make good short to intermediate throws. He was put under a lot of pressure in the preseason. Hopefully with the line fully intact, bar now, but Brown's doing fine. He's got a little bit more time to get the passes going and we can spread out the offense a bit because that, that it's critical. We can't just do what we did last week or we're going to get obliterated. Two words, TJ Hawkinson. He has to show up for once. He has got to keep that defence honest. Between the linebackers who are going to start the box and the safeties, he, he has got to operate in the middle. If he doesn't turn up again this week, 
it's going to be so hard to keep that defence honest because, as you say, they're just going to bring everyone close from closest line of scrimmage. And in a lane, Dan Campbell is going to call one-yard runs on second and third down. We'll be behind the chains. And then Miles Garrett is probably going to kick someone's ass because he's just terrifying. Pound is one of the most overrated first round first picks I've ever seen. I, I don't care about that guy. He's a nice complimentary player, but perennial bust. But Garrett is going to line up wherever we're weakest. He will swap sides. Whoever he wants to pick on, he's going to be moving and shuffling all the way around the line. And he's going to get in that backfield and he's going to cause some mayhem. So it's going to be, as Alan says, we're going to have to throw the ball. We've got to get it away quickly as well. We need short dropbacks and just get rid of it either way. There's none of this piddling about in the pocket, inviting pressure if the line won't be able to hold. But it's going to have to need a bigger balance. We're going to have to have 40-60 pass run. We can't have this 90-80. It just will not work because they will take away the run. And if we don't pass and we keep running straight into that middle of the line, they'll gobble us up and it will be ugly. So... One thing that I wanted to mention, and it's not a game I've seen, but just from reputation last week against New England, one of the game plans of New England was to run it down Miles Garrett's throat, and he ended up having the worst run defense grade of the season so far. So, do you obviously they're going to have a look at that game and try and fix what went wrong with it? And if they have a look at what the Lions did last week, they're going to try and defend against having the sixth lineman on the field. That much is immediately obvious, because if they don't, that's dereliction of duty. Having said that, is it so easy just to fix those problems that are there? They ran it in Miles Garrett because it was their strength, and they knew that they wouldn't be expected on the Browns' part. And it worked. Can we not perhaps employ the same strategy here? But the thing is, the Patriots' personnel is set up to play that way. You've got two big, hustling tight ends. You've got Hunter Henry in there. You, you know, they block better than TJ does. The one thing TJ doesn't do is block as well. And I just think the way they're set up to play is more, you know, beneficial to that. They're quite deep at O-line. You get the extra tackles in there. Their tackles are really good as well. I'm not saying ours aren't, but... You know, they're just built to play smash mouth football and to do it that way. I don't think we're at that point yet where we can. I don't, I trust the line. I don't trust what's on the line next to them. You know, Skipper's going to be in there possibly. DJ's going to be in there. You know, you know, we might have Kabinda in who might do well, but I just don't think the personnel's of the same quality. I get what you're saying, though. There's a possibility there, but I think. The Patriots personnel and the way they play is more schemed better towards doing that. I don't know whether we can replicate that successfully. Maybe not, but with Jamal Williams coming back, fingers crossed, that's a runner who perhaps runs more physically than any of the runners that we saw last week. Someone who can get consistent yardage despite what blocking is up front for him. So, And he always seems to fall forward. I think that actually adds something to our game significantly. I think... I feel like you have to go through Evan Brown for this. No taking it back deep into the backfield to pass it off. Just be right next to the quarterback and send him straight down the middle. Because I think Brown and the two guards, if you can negate Clowney who's on the edge and just get going straight up the middle, you may have something there. I think that may be the way to go. Just avoid Garrett completely. Let him come around the edge. By the time he gets there, our guy's gone up the gut and he's gone. I expect to see Swift... Probably take a lot less touches than he did last week. 
Jamal is going to come in and take a workload because if you're running swift at Garrett too much, then we'll be writing his eulogy of end, end of week because he will get broken. He ain't built to run at Miles Garrett 20, 25 times because he's just a dominating force. But using Jamal Williams, especially in the short downage, and Godwin, I don't want Williams to come in and then suddenly we don't see Godwin take a single snap off game because we're going to need physical runners, especially for a team that's going to start the box. You can't be using the lightweight guys too often because I think we're going to become too predictable. I agree with New England doing it because they didn't expect it to come out of them. But when you're the most predictable team in football, if you're going to be trying to run in short doubt yardage and things like that, they're just going to gobble it up and take it as we have. So we're going to have to see a little bit more of releasing these, even if we bring extra linemen in, like making some of them eligible, try catch them off guard, try use the two, three tight ends, like short passes, getting behind the linebackers. I think we're going to have to fake the run. They're going to have to, they're going mm. to, have to bite on runs, definitely. Oh, if we use an extra That's lineman, a... I want to see us playing a bit of advanced chess and actually have them run around and possibly catch the ball because... That's the sort of chess match I'm all about, because if we're bringing in an extra lineman, you can be sure they're going to be like, oh, we saw this on tape last week. You know, like it's not it's not a leap. It's only one level further on. It's not I know, you know, that he knows that she knows, blah, 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 blah. That's just one level further of complexity that is really not hard to instill. And someone like Penny Sewell absolutely can do that. Decker has a receiving touchdown, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. Yes. Yeah. Ryan said it, though. I mean, the, the one thing last week showed us is you've got to have as many running backs active as possible. You've got Jamar in there. You had Godwin in there. You had Swift doing the carries. You know, no more of this just using the two of them. It's where we're strong. We've got four good running backs here. Let's use as many of them as, as at our disposal. More two-back sets because the two-back sets worked. I know SW's been on about that for years. But, you know, let's use as many guys as we can because it's where we're strong. So I don't want to see just the two of them this week. I do want to see Godwin and Jamal when he's back more because it looked really good and we got really good yardage out because they weren't sure who was coming in and they weren't sure how to deal with them because they've all got their own niche little aspects of the game that you can't prepare for. Yeah, putting a cheeky little quadruple option in there as well. That'd be fun. Um, let's have a look at the special teams for the Browns. The kickers, Chase McLaughlin. He's got 13 of 15 field goals, although the two that he's missed have been between the 40s. He's actually hit all of them from 50 passes attempted so far. 24 of 24 on extra points. In terms of kickoff starting, he's got 44% touchback rate, so plenty of chances for kickoff returns for this team. The punter is the Scottish Hammer himself, Jamie Gillen. 31 punts at an average of 44.9, so he's one of the more steady punters in the league. He's not going to wow you, but he's fairly consistent with that punt. Um, let's talk about the ways to win. Um, we've kind of touched on it all the way through, but... Okay, so avoid the defensive ends if you can, but that's a tough ask against these two. I know that Clowney, as Ryan said, is maybe one of the most overrated number one overall picks ever, but he's definitely shown himself to be a reasonable first-round pick, perhaps, even if he was lower down. You know, he is an elite player against the run. He, he's like a premium version of Trey Flats because he actually does get some sacks. It's true. But, I mean, first and foremost, if, if you're talking about the routes to win, 
you've got to stop their run game. That that is first and foremost. If that gets going, then we're done for. And as I've said, it's it's time for Aaron Glenn to stop babysitting that secondary and start getting aggressive. You know, it's working. It works for us in terms of keeping points down. But what we're not doing is creating turnovers in vital areas or putting them far enough back to get good field position. We're sort of bending, not breaking. And we've been given the perfect opportunity this week. Their receiver core is thin. So let's leave them to it. Let's just really stick the hammer down. And then it sort of solves the offensive problem for us. If we can get better field position, if we can get some turnovers higher up the field, there's less pressure on the offense then to have to drive it the length against Clowney, against Garrett. But that's first and foremost. You have to stack the box against that run game and really commit to it. Speaking of field position, as you've just said there, those numbers for the punter, the punter is bang average. 44 average yards for punts is not very good. If Godwin and Raymond can give us good field position and give Boyle a little less to do, that will go a long way to winning this game. Like I said, the hitting touchbacks, when we're starting from like 25 yards back, we have absolutely no chance. Our stats must be horrible if we're starting with touchbacks without even looking at them. But if we're starting between the 30 and the 40, our chance of getting in the red zone goes up dramatically. Because I've, I've had a look at the stats today. Passing the ball about 101 yards a game, like 25th. Running the ball, we're at like 14, 15. But points scored, 30th. And that's because of field position and penalties. Oh, and penalties. Can we have a clean game for once? Because I haven't seen a clean Detroit game for about two years. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. But I know we will. Has to be that way. I mean, it's it's a game that's either going to see us get blown out or it's going to be close all the way through. And I don't really see any other way because I don't see us putting enough points up to blow them away. But I can see us putting enough points up to make it competitive in the fourth if they have a bad day. But we've got to force them to have a bad day. It just all depends on if we can learn from maybe not our mistakes, but from the past. So on offense, I say we've got to air it more. We simply have to threaten secondaries because too many teams have stopped us running it because we don't put enough pressure on the secondary to make it worthwhile them devoting resources to protecting it. And where do those resources go instead? They go to the line. So if we can air it out more, and if we don't rely on the run game, if we run it as well as we did last week, but with a nice smattering of passes in there as well, then we can put points up. We can. We've seen that we can do it. And then, as I say, on the opposite side of the ball, we've got to bin stop so goddamn conservative. And the opportunity is there this week to do both. So, you know, there absolutely is a route to win this one. And people may laugh and people may scoff, but, but there is. We've seen what they can do in certain situations. And this situation, you, you look at it and the facts lead you to believe that there is a chance here. It's, it's plain and simple, but they have to change. And Glenn needs to be more aggressive. That's the only thing I've got against him at the minute. You know, we've had this protection of the secondary for a while now. Let's, let's try a game where we're risky, where we blitz, where we really put the hammer home in there. Because I think it's going to do really, really well for us. And as Ryan says, mirror it in with getting better field position, puts less pressure on the offense. There's your route to winning. Yeah. I mean, if you have a look at this defense for Cleveland, you have a look at some of the... So this secondary is meant to be bad. You know, it's not meant to be particularly good, despite the names on it. They're 26th in pass defense. 
You take away Denzel Ward, who is having another great year and is one of the best players in this league at cornerback. You have a look at the rest of the cornerbacks and the safeties. And, I mean, they're really not playing very well. So the highest of them is AJ is, sorry, is Greedy Williams, 71 graded. But as Ryan has highlighted, he's not exactly had a great start to his career. So this is somewhat of a misnomer so far. Let's see if that continues. AJ Green's the next one and he's out. Greg Newsom is the rookie. I think he plays best from the slot, but then so does Troy Hill, if I remember rightly. He's a slot corner. And so they've got no outside guy. Like, if they're, play if they're not playing nickel, they've got no outside guy as their second corner. And if they're playing nickel, okay, fine, the slot is fine. But the slot's been playing bad anyway, and they've still got no outside guy. But the only way to take advantage <laughs> of that is to throw. The other safety they've got is Grant Delpit or Ronnie Harrison. They're in the 40s and the 50s. They're nothing much. So avoid Denzel Ward. And don't particularly worry about John Johnson so far this season. You've got to threaten him in the air. I know that we need to control the clock because we don't want the Browns' offense to run it down our throats and give our defense a bit of time to recuperate. But we've got to pass the ball. But we can do the same to them as well. You know, if we get the passing game in there and we can run it more... We can also control the clock. And I think that's the big thing. Which team gets its run game established first and gets control of the scoreboard and the clock? But one thing we've also not taken into consideration is morale. I mean, we have nothing to lose coming into this, but we've just come off a fairly impressive performance where we nearly got everything right. We got the run game established. The defence played incredibly well and battled so hard. The only thing we weren't able to get in was the passing because the quarterback was injured, but... You know, the players are going to be on a high after last week. We're not going 0-17 no more. That bugbear's gone. And we have nothing to lose. The Browns, this is a disappointing season for them. I don't care whether they've lost to teams they should have lost to or whatever. After last year, they were expected to make progress this year, and they've regressed. They had a horrible defeat last week, and they're expected to beat us, you know, 12-point favourites. If we're hanging around after three quarters like we were against Pittsburgh and they can't put us away then the doubts are going to be right in there with them. And it's going to be in our favour. I, I really think that's a big factor in this. They've got a lot of supposedly big players in there who are not doing as well as they should be. And they're injured. And they're on the verge of you know, not getting into the postseason again if they carry on the way they are. I know, I know they're doing all right at the minute, but there's a good chance they might not. They have regressed from last year. They're not doing as well as they should be. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really weird thing with this team. So the defense, I think, has the names that when they're actually playing together as a unit, they're going to actually perform quite well. I don't believe that the regression on the defensive side of the ball is going to be sustainable. But on the offense, you can see from the fact that, you know, they are the fifth overall graded team per PFF, but they're 500. And why is that? Well, OK, you can look at that passing defense, but actually it's just Mayfield's worth season of his career. That's why he's been banged up and he's played through it and it's not worked. And this is the power of having an elite quarterback or not. Mayfield was a top five quarterback last year, just barely, but he had the best season of his career by far. And then when he doesn't, who cares what the rest of the team does to some extent? The quarterback is absolutely everything. And if we can get pressure on Mayfield, force him into mistakes, be there for interceptions. You know, this is a game built for Armani or Awarie because you know what? His interceptions just seem to be lucky. Mayfield could just chuck the ball straight to him a couple of times. That'd be absolutely perfect. I don't know. I just feel like 
last year it was the Browns versus everyone mentality and that it really fired them up and you really saw, you know, a will to win in there. But you feel like it's been sapped this year. And I don't think they're going to have that to their advantage. I say, I think all, all the pressure's on them to win this. No pressure on us. But we're coming off a relatively good result and they're coming off a horrific one. So I've seen enough from our team to suggest, you know, that they're right in this. They're getting there. They're getting the aspects of the game just right. We just, we need to find a passing game from somewhere. If you can add a passing game to last week's performance, we'd have won. And I strongly believe if we do the same this week, we'll win again. Well, we'll not win again, but we'll win. It, it, it's a possibility. Win again, please, once. <laughs> well, it was nice to have a time on the. I'll take a time on the, but you know, it's and the same thing. I, I, I do believe morale's a big thing in this one. I do. Yeah, the team that starts off well in the first quarter could well carry the momentum all the way through. Hmm. Who can get the running game established first? That, that's what it's going to be. Who can get those long drives in, start getting the other defence gassed first, get control on the scoreboard? That's where the key to this all lies, really. And, and we've got to start pressuring them. But I'm, I might have made that case last week with New England against the Browns. And the Browns scored first for 7-0 and then conceded 45 straight points. This is a defence that allowed the backup quarterback, Brian Hoyer, to throw three passes for a touchdown and 90 yards and a perfect pass rating. Congratulations, Cleveland. Brian Hoyer has a perfect pass rating against you. How do you feel? But didn't like <laughs> PJ Walker have a perfect one against us nearly? <laughs> no, no. He threw a pick in the corner of the end zone. That was a re- he had one really, really bad. Oh well, we're picking, we're picking, we're, you know, you know, we're picking eggshell. You know, he, he had a really good game against us. The only good game he's ever had in his life. I don't think we could critique backup quarterbacks. Oh, I, I thought I thought PJ Walker played quite well a couple of weeks ago in relief of Darnold. Did he not? I mean, I mean, Mitch Trubisky's a backup quarterback. He frequently used to slice us. So, yes, beating the Lions is no indication of quality, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else you guys want to bring up about this game? Some of the things that you think might need to happen to win? What about a, a player you want to see do well for us or anyone you want to look out for from them that we haven't already mentioned? I'm just going to go on record. Yeah, uh, Boyle. I'm just going to go on record as saying that when I tweet the laser show, I do it sarcastically because I have seen absolutely no physical proof whatsoever. This guy has a laser arm or has any accuracy. We've seen a bit of preseason. We've seen... One performance in two years for GB, they went three of four for 15 yards. Apparently he throws a good baseball fast, but I am not asking him to win this game because I think he will be wildly erratic. If he throws three touchdowns, I expect him to throw four interceptions. So I think we will have a passing game, but I think there's also going to be a lot of him. If I was a Cleveland defensive back, I would be licking my lips. There's going to be chances for interceptions. If we turn this ball over quickly and repeatedly, this game could get away from us. So I hope he's laser-focused. He's going to run in the winning touchdown for us this week. I'm calling it. I'll tell you what, this is this is a game that's going to be it's going to suck for someone like um, Trinity Benson to be out because Benson was sold to us as a raw, speedy, outside receiver, someone absolutely wasted on Goff. Now Boyle comes in, who... 
I mean, never mind whether he's shown us it or not. He's going to have a bigger arm than Goff, because how can you not? Or at least a faster arm than Goff, because it's just a noodle arm ball from Goff at this point. Benson, to have a chance of succeeding here, needs to have a quarterback who can actually throw to him. And Boyle's that guy, but he's questionable coming in. And that might hurt his reps, especially with someone like Josh Reynolds coming in. So I'm, I'm looking you know forward to Boyle because it might be something different. You know, if you want players to think that Reynolds might be the guy, he might give the spark to the wide receiver core that the team needs. It's He's probably going to be pretty big in this as well. But I don't, I don't think it's any one individual player that's really going to make a difference. I don't think we really have players of that caliber at the minute. I think for us to win games... You know, we need like 10, 12 of them to really stand up and do well. I'm talking the tackles need to be on their A game against some of the best pass rushers there are. You know, um, Boyle needs to come in and play well. The defense need to do what they usually do. It's, it's not just on one player. This, I don't think it's, I can really signal one person to just come out and have a blinder of a game because that's not going to win it, us. But I saw last week perfectly enough that the team can step up and do what is required of them. We just need to add that one last aspect. And now Goff is finally out of the team. Maybe we'll see a little bit more adventure downfield at last. And just enough. We don't need to use Boyle that much. We just need to use him enough to get that box uncluttered a bit. And then we can just focus on the run game and what we did to the Steelers last week. One thing I worry about in this game is I'd love to see Khalif Raymond have a good game. He's a speedy, short-range receiver, doesn't have top-end speed, but he requires maybe a course back with a little bit more touch than I think Boyle has. Boyle has the laser, but if he has the laser, he requires someone a bit, like a, able to separate at the top of a route, and I don't see Raymond being that guy. So I'd love to see Raymond do something for me. It's always the same story. It's about TJ Hawkinson and whether he can get in the game. He had officially two targets last week, but really, if you don't count the the busted screen where he was still engaged on the block, he had one target last week, had one of the worst games of his career last week, and quite frankly, needs to step up his fucking game. Hawk needs to do it because he's the focal point of this offense, and if he does not, this team stands no chance. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. But don't again, get called for a fucking false start either. If he picks <laughs> up another penalty this week, I would be close to sitting in for a drive because he's pissing me right off with the penalties. Illegal low block or holding or whatever. He's been pretty bad. I bet we get another 12 men on the field as well. Guarantee oh, it. spare me. My God. Yeah. Ugh. Again, this is the thing. For us to win a game, everything has to come together. The, the no penalties, the aggressive defense, the you know suitably balanced offense. It's just a, and and the trouble is, in too many games when we've just come up short, we've seen like three of you know three of four or something like that. We just we just don't get four of four, and you know we're just just waiting for that week when the four come together because we'll win a game when they do. But discipline's huge, and yeah. just on the defense as well. They need to cut out some of their... They're jumping more than they usually do. That needs to be cut out. Because Baker's not particularly great with his cadence. So they shouldn't be getting fooled by him. I mean, at the end of the day, in terms of at least the offense and not getting behind the chains, 
Jonah Jackson's been someone who's got a few false start penalties very early in games, I've noticed. So it hasn't been as the game's gone on, he kind of eases himself into the game quite nicely. But I think it was the second play last week, and I think it might have been the second play the week before, where he got a false start penalty. And for the first drive, is so much harder when you're first or second and 15. You know, you can't start that way. I think now you see Decker back in there, I think you'll see Jackson exponentially get better. I know he's had a decent start. He had a, he had a bit of a rough start without Decker, but I think you'll see them two get back into tandem very quickly. I think any problems he has, Decker will soon wipe them out because they played really well together last year. And I would expect them to pick up from similar again, you know, providing Decker as well. We're going to need to give Decker some protection as well. Going to need to line the tight end up next to him. Let's leave Sewell. I trust Sewell. If he's against Clowney, I trust Sewell any day of the week. So, you know, let's give the protection to, to Decker. But, you know, I expect Jackson to do well now he's back. Fingers crossed. Got a, a statement from Dan Pask. How you doing, man? Thank you for your help earlier on in the week. He says, Hawk isn't Megatron. He's been planned out to only be a blocker by the game plan dictated by the opposition that we're playing. And you could see that it was very much the plan that Hawk wasn't going to get featured last week. But that's fine. Feature him as a blocker. Blocking was meant to be one of the things he did well coming out of college. You know, this wasn't yeah, just a guy who's just a blocking tight end. He's not just a receiving tight end, but he's a generational talent who can do both, and he hasn't. His, but blocking's, I think... been, his blocking's been terrible the last few weeks. But also, you've got to factor in again, without, any having, re- without having any true receiving threats here, because, you know... Opposition teams are bringing players up closer. They're bringing the linebackers up more, the safeties up more. TJ thrives in that sort of intermediate section of the field. And because defences are coming up more, it's harder for him to find room. And he's probably under double coverage as well. If you've got genuine threats at wide receiver, taking more men out there, there's more room for Hawkinson to operate as a receiver. But people know, teams know, that he's probably the most legitimate threat we've got. So they are... You know, they are assigning coverage to him like they would a wide receiver one because we don't have one they need to do to otherwise. So they've got the extra man to nullify him. And you've seen that in a lot of games. And plus, he's not got the most accurate quarterbacks throwing at him either. So that doesn't help. I don't think he's regressed in the way he's playing. I just think they're able to, you know, they're able to look after him more because there's less people to take coverage away from him. Absolutely fair. Uh, let's move on from this game and maybe just address one question we've had in the chat about the future of this Detroit Lions. And one Pride 40 says, are there any free agent wide receivers that interest you in, in 2022's free agency? And I've got spot racks list in front of me of the, the top free agents at the moment for next year. Alan Robinson from Chicago, Chris Godwin from Tampa, Devontae Adams from Green Bay. Will Fuller from Miami, Jameson Crowder from the Jets, T.Y. Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sanders, A.J. Green, Watkins, Keelan Cole, Mike Williams, Tim Patrick's just re-signed apparently, so he's off the table. Uh, Zach Pascal, Antonio Brown, and that fake vaccine passport can come all this way. Um, so a few others in there that, that piqued my interest a little bit. Cedric Wilson, Byron Pringle. What do you think, guys? Any of those names take your fancy? No, no. I mean, well, not not no, but it's you know, it might be controversial, but this is not the time for us to be spending on wide receivers, plain and simple. There's there's too many other issues. 
we've got to deal with. I, I wouldn't be touching a free agent wide receiver and I'd be hesitant to draft a quarterback. I'd just be looking at the defense this year. They've hit the trenches. The trenches are looking decent, but it's defense time now. If we're paying Godwin money, which is going to be huge, we're not ready for a Godwin receiver. You know, we're not at that point where he's going to make a difference and take us to the playoffs. You know, we need to get the defense sorted first. That's on the schematic that they promised us, you know, building from the inside out. We've got the trenches done now. You've got to look after your defense first. I just wouldn't be spending the money there. Otherwise, we need a safety. We can draft one, but we need a vet safety in there, possibly. We need a vet corner in there, you know. There's far other bigger priorities this year than wide receiver Immo. And I know we're not great there, but flashy wide receivers come at the end of a rebuild, not the start. Plus, let's be honest, why would any of those receivers want to come to Detroit? If Detroit rang me and how many of them guys, I'd be like, you can piss off. I'm not going to play with Jared Goff. He's a bum. But I mean, to be nice. They're too expensive, most of them, or the rest are inconsistent or injury prone. And that's why they're free agents. Well, I mean, that's the problem that we've had so far this year, but we've got to do something at the wide receiver position next year. We can't just roll in with what we have right now. And I mean, Ralph, I Ralph there's I... plenty of good ones in the draft and they give them a year in the NFL and you put a flashy guy next to them. But, you know, build through the draft at your receiver call. There's plenty of good wide receiver one options to have this year. Plenty. I, I feel slightly differently. I think that the option should be possibly to draft one and sign one. I don't know what sort of value can be had out there, but you've got guys like Rashad Higgins from Cleveland, who I'm not sure is going to be re-signed, but I think he's got potential upside. Albert Wilson from Miami, I quite like at that sort of cheap level too. Um, who else is there? Byron Pringles had an okay few years in KC. That, but, but where does he fit on your depth chart in the long run? It doesn't. Well, I'm not talking about more than one year here, but I just think there's got to be someone that you bring in. It, I, I, okay, so I'm all aboard the sort of idea of having a defense-heavy draft, but I don't think you can draft two wide receivers then. But I think you probably need to bring in two guys because we don't have a wide receiver one or two. We yeah, just but don't. You draft, yeah, but at the start of a rebuild... They're, they're not important. You, you can draft some good guys and then in 12 months' time, when we're in the next season, we can start talking about the receiver number one who's going to push our receiving core over the edge. Cephas has done well. St. Brown's getting there with it. Raymond's showing what he can do. You add Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burke, somewhere like that in there, you're going to have a decent enough receiving core for next year when they're all healthy. Enough, yeah. maybe with a better quarterback to throw at them and a better team around them to do well and then you get your flashy wide receiver you know the year afterwards and you get your quarterback the year afterwards when you're ready to go when the defense is ready to go we've got a lot of free agency money this year we can use to expedite the rebuild of the defense because don't forget this offense has got some good parts in there we've got the offensive line in there we've got a good quartet of running backs in there we've got our pro bowl tight end in there it doesn't take as much to fix that as it does what the defense is. Not going to take a lot to take us over the edge on offense. And hopefully with Link gone as well. So you draft a wide receiver, you get a good one, you're possible number one or two of the future, then you supplement it the year after. That, that's the way I look at it. Fair but enough. Don't waste any money on them this year. Not any one-year rentals. Just, there's no point with that. 
I mean, USA Today's mock draft that they released yesterday had us taking Chris Olave at 28, which would be all levels of fantastic. So, um, looking at... So, 1540 asks another question, then he says, okay, fine, how about the safeties for free agency in 2022? Let me list off a few free agent safeties, some familiar names in here. Uh, Obviously, looking at perhaps the end of Will Harris's reign as undisputed starter at strong safety. Tyron Matthew from KC, Devin McCauley from New England, Marcus Williams from New Orleans, Marcus May, Andre Diggs, Kareem Jackson, Rodney McLeod, Justin Burris. Why is that a name I don't recognize? And he's so high on the AAD. Keanu Neal, Anthony Harris, Lamarcus Joyner, Terrell Edmonds, Jabril Peppers, Xavier Woods. There's some bigger names out there available at Safety Demonte Casey, I know, was a guy that we were kind of high on trying to bring in in this offseason just gone. Anyone there that you think we could bring in perhaps a strong safety to bring a bit of metal in that, that Will Harris doesn't? Marcus May would be good. I'd like Marcus May. I know he's had a bit, maybe a bit inconsistent in there, but I think he's a good veteran presence you want. And hopefully we supplement that with Hamilton in the draft and re-sign Walker. That's, that's the goal here. Get Hamilton at all costs, and then your safety room's completely rejuvenated. And with Walker and another guy in there, you've got one of the best safety lots in the NFL, probably. And that's how quick you can fix that position. But may it be a good one for me? I'd take someone like Terrell Edmonds. I'm taking one of those cheaper middle options for strong safety. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna blow my wad on that. Like say, because we're going to be drafting at least one safety. Will Harris's time is over. It's been over all season. He's literally just waiting. But no, I'm all for re-signing Walker at a reasonable rate. If he asks for too much, then he can go. But I mean, no, I'd like to keep those in-house if possible. If I, I know that I said it's a familiar name, but he's someone who I loved here. If we can convince Quandre to come back, I'm not sure we could. But if we not could, I'd want. love to have not on the money he wants. He'll want a huge deal and it's not not going to be cost effective for us. It would be great, but I just do not see it happening because of money. I don't see us pumping out such a big deal for him. Because he's seen guys like Jamal Adams and that there get paid by Seattle and he'll want a chunk of it. So... And, and plus, let's not forget that Seattle defense has been rank on its secondary as well. I know it's been all right, but there's a reason that that secondary is so terrible. And he's been part of that. We just we can't be spunking. You've got an elite game-changing safety in this draft. And if you're in position to get him, then get him. Then you don't have to spunk a load of money on a safety because you've got your guy of the next 15 or 10, 12 years there sat waiting for you. I like Diggs, but no former players. I'm not bringing anyone that's been here before. I want a total clean slate. I know he was forced out, but I'm not bringing guys back with chips on their shoulders either. I like him, but I'm not interested in anyone that's been here before. That's fair. Go Lion says I'm taking Hamilton in the top three. Yeah. If, if we finish anywhere but first in that draft, you're taking Sorry, I know people out there will go safety's not a number two position, but he really is a number two player. He really, really is. Fair. 
fair. If there's any other questions you want asked, get them in now, or we'll end this shortly. Just to let you know, our next episode is going to be on Monday. It's the Lions at Browns review show. As we said before, yes, uh, not yesterday, Wednesday's college football podcast. Week 11 in review. Also have a look at the first players in the Reese's Senior Bowl. They were revealed. Ant and Ryan talked about them earlier in the week. Go and listen to that. Watch Party on Discord. Please come and join our Discord. DMs open on Twitter. Ask us for a link. We'll start at 5.45 UK time, 12.45 T in the States. Socials, you can find us at Royal Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The group is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide on Facebook and on the web, RoyalTheLionsUK.com. Haven't had any further questions. Anything you guys want to say before we finish? Not really. I'm looking forward to this weekend, weirdly enough. I think it'll be a decent game. I think it'll be over very quickly, but you know, as, as far as... We didn't it's predict be... it. We didn't predict it. So anyone want a venture prediction at this point? Uh, is this realistic or possible? <laughs> do both. If you've tapped on, do both. We lose. That's both. I think we lose. I think one's closer than the other. I think one of us will probably lose by a field goal. If everything goes, if if we get creative on offense and run it and pass it enough, and if we're aggressive enough on defense, I can see us pulling off a win, maybe by three or four. Realistically, it requires a lot to go right, and you just feel like you know Chubb's such a great player that he's. And I don't trust them to get the scheme right. I'm fully expecting to see Williams and Brockers at the bloody three tech positions come, you know, Sunday, and for them to get absolutely bullied out of the game, and for the run to be imposed on us. Uh, so I, I think we probably lose by eight realistically. But if it all comes together and we learn from our mistakes, we can win. And it's not a laughable thing to say that. I'm going to go for a 30 to 20 loss. I think we'll keep it close. I think it will be 23 to 20 until late, and then they'll put it to bed in the fourth with a touchdown, and we won't get back from it. That's that's where I think we're at. One Prime 40 has a follow-up question just before we finish. If you're Brad Holmes, and I mean, I'll frame his question a bit more. So he says, if you're Brad Holmes, who would your first picks be? So let's lock them in now. We're picking at 128.33. No trades. Pick. You can only take Thibodeau. You can only take Thibodeau at one. There's no other player worth taking that has got the value. Twenty-eight. I'm going to. Oh, I'm going to take a wide receiver, but I don't know who. And at thirty-three, I will take Sam Howell if he's there. If not, Desmond Ritter. This is far right now. This isn't fair. You know, I don't want pick one. This isn't fair. <laughs> yeah, but if you can't trade out a pick one, which is a realistic scenario in this draft because there's no yeah. back available one, then you might be forced to. <sighs> yeah, I'll, I'll pick Cave on at one then. I don't want to, but I'll pick Cave on at one. I'll pick Burks at 28, wide receiver, and then... Uh, I don't know at 33. Carson Strong... Ah, uh, I'm torn. I but okay. So I would go Kayvon at one, 
I'd go Howl at 28, and I'd go... I, it's probably massively overdrafting him, but I'm tempted by someone like Romeo Dubs at 30, 33. I think he probably might go in the thirds, but I just see a talent far better than that in him. See, I wanted to reach for Devin Lloyd. I don't think he's going to go that high, but I'd reach for him at linebacker. So Lloyd in, in the Draft Network's rankings is in the low 20s. Uh, sorry, the high Lloyd? 20s is like 29, something like that, 28, 29. He's the second-rated linebacker. There's someone in the in the teams. Oh, screw it! I take I take I take Burks and Lloyd. Then I hope Lloyd slips a little bit. I get my line, but I get my linebacker and I get my edge. So one pride forty says he takes Tibbs, one Jordan Battle twenty-eight, and Dean thirty-three. I can it's see that. It's a way to go. Yeah, like I said from the beginning, I think just positional value-wise. Thibodeau and Battle is not as good as Hamilton and Carl Aftis, let's say. You get two better players overall from those two There's if you were no able to get them. Way. Carl Aftis There's no way you get Carl Aftis at 28. thing is, you've got a great edge class. Even at the end of the first, is there's some wonderful edge rushes to have. So, hmm. And you're never going to find a safety anywhere near as good as Hamilton either. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I look at it as like positional value. I just feel like you get more if you go Hamilton first. Because I think there are some really good guys behind Thibodeau in this who would, who would possibly be just as good. But, you know, it's what the draft's about. You know, we've all got varying opinions on it, so. Absolutely. Um, I'm just trying to look for the... So, basically, Kyle Hamilton is this year's Richie Grant. Is that what we're saying? No, uh, Reed, Blankens- Reed Blankenship is this year's Richie Grant. Come on, you've listened to the college podcast. Yes, sure I that. have. But Reed Blankenship is at the moment projected to go in the sixth. Yeah, but he's not a sixth-round player. He's a third-round player. So if you get him in the sixth, you're absolutely delighted. But he's my proper safety crush this year. Fair enough. More draft talk coming up all the way through Detroit's off-season, which starts, what, January 14th? 13th? That's the final Sunday of the season, I think. Or maybe it's January 6th, I'm not sure. But you can be sure that for the three months from the start of January through to the end of April, we are going to be right on this. So if you want draft content, here is the place to come, especially early. Um, I've given you our socials. Anything you guys want to say before we finish? College season's over in two weeks, pretty much, so it'll start earlier than that. Well, there we go. Uh, who, who do we compare Hamilton to? I don't think you can. I don't think you can, one Pride 40. I, I think the sky's the limit for him. He's, he's, like, he's like Kyle Pitts was to tight ends last year. That He's just by far and away better. Well, I say that, but three of them had a really good year, but... He's generational, Hamilton is. He really is a ball hawk. He covers the entire, you know, back half of that field. He's got such electric speed, awareness. He's a game changer. He's, he's as big a game changer as Thibodeau is. And if you can either trade out of one for extra picks and still get him, you're not losing quality in the player you're getting, and you're getting extra picks with it. So it's an added bonus. That's how good he is. Fair enough. Right, we'll wrap it there. I've given you the socials. I don't have to do that again. My thanks to my co-hosts, to Ant and Ryan. I'm Matthew Turner, and we'll see you on Monday.
for Victory Monday. Let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride.